0: Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Podcast. Uh, it's great to have you listening in and we hope that this message comes as a great encouragement and blessing to you. Uh, if you'd like to know any more information about Morensville Baptist Church, please check out our website at as you As you'll be aware, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time now and uh, this morning we're going to... We're going to continue on uh, in that and this morning we're in Matthew 24 and uh, I guess rich and I really felt as I shared last time we we're up here um, together just that we wanted to do more more of this where we can work together to to look at scripture and and to and to put it before us and um, And so it's our heart this morning that together we can we can have a clearer picture and and perhaps communicate that more more clearly to to us as a church. Um and we're gonna carry on from, from where Daryl left off last week um in, in twenty-four, as I said. Um how about we pray? Yeah, good idea? Yeah, we need it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we have the gift of your word. Lord, we pray that as we open it this morning that you would guide Richard and I, Lord, and uh, and each and every one of us, Father, that your word, your truth. Would, uh, would sow good seed deep in our hearts and in time produce great fruit. And uh, Father, in, in areas where where there might be some controversy this morning or some things that are hard for us to hear, we just pray that in that challenge, Lord, we would seek your conviction and the guiding of your spirit, Lord, and we would look to you uh, in, in terms of the direction we go there. But Father, if there's anything in this morning that is Richard or I that is, that is not of you, that is not true, we pray that that would fall to the side and, and have no bearing in our lives from here on. Um, But, Father, we want to commit this time into your hands and uh, and ask for the leading of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Richard, do you want (laughs) to take over?
1: For now, we'll call you back. Um, Many of you will know that we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew since February 2021 and uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you'll be familiar with the next slide. It shows that uh, Jesus says, follow me. And he talks about what it means to be uh, a follower of him in in terms of our lifestyle, in terms of Jesus' mission, what the growth of the kingdom looks like, the community of the kingdom, that's the church, here as we gather here this morning. And finally, we're here to the last big topic Jesus will address before um, his uh, crucifixion and resurrection, and that's the future of the kingdom. We all want to know about the future, don't we? Yeah, and so Jesus speaks in, in this passage into that future, and so we're going to build on what Daryl shared last week in that. And just to give a, a, a bit of background, as is, that's important, I uh, said so Jesus is two days away from Passover and then his arrest, and he, he's, he's been in Jerusalem for a few days, and he's had some big conversations with the crowd he has his last one in chapter 22, big conversation with them. In chapter, chapter 23, he has a fiery uh, encounter with the Jewish leaders. And then here in chapter 24, he will um, uh, have time with his disciples uh, and uh, his, last, his last conversation with them before, before the, the, the Passover, last big conversation. And, and so this conversation really is based on what Jesus said at the end of chapter 23. After this fiery conversation with the leaders, Jesus says, "Um, uh, this temple, this great building, is going to be left desolate, destroyed. And you're not going to see me. You're not going to see my coming until you welcome me back and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So bearing in mind he says that, they go off into the temple grounds, they're admiring them, and then um, they go off to the Mount of Olives. And they're obviously dwelling on that conversation because their questions that come up after that are, is, are a when, a what, and a what. When will the temple be destroyed, effectively? Or what will be the sign of your coming? He said, you're not gonna see me again until you welcome me back. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus, being a great teacher, He answered them in verse 4. And so Daryl picked up last week about a couple of the signs that Jesus spoke of. There's going to be trouble in the world. Very general signs. And so we should not be surprised by those. And then he said there will be challenges in the church. And so Daryl spoke about his testimony uh, around that, that uh, God has blessed him. But in the midst of that, there was challenge And Daryl talked about his endurance through those challenges. And that was kind of the message of Jesus. You're going to have to endure through trial and trouble. But don't worry, that's not a sign I'm not with you. It's going to be part of your life. And so it was really great to hear what what Daryl shared, that it's possible to overcome trouble. And so now Jesus now is going to up the ante with this trouble that has been in trouble in the church, um, in the world, but this is going to widen in scope and intensity. Quite often what we call the great tribulation, great time of, of, of trouble. And Jesus will return at the climax of that. And so as we just work through uh, what Jesus has to say in this, and is this a straightforward prophecy in these verses we're going to look at. There's nothing complicated in them if we read them as, as Jesus spoke them. Uh, next time, we're going to talk about the parables that Jesus will use to illuminate this prophecy. But here is straight reading. And so I'll call you this morning here. We love God with our hearts, and we're also called to love God with our minds. And so this morning, we're going to spend about 40 minutes talking through this, and encourage you to love God with your minds, because this is about building us up. Because we know Jesus has told us and given us insight to prepare us. He hasn't just said this for no particular reason. This is important, and that's why he's sharing it. So Tom, introduce us to the passage. Thank you. Um, So if you do have your Bibles, could you open to Matthew
0: 24, please? And um, I'll put it up here as well. And you'll notice that as I've added some words, uh, those ones in red are not in the Bible. Those are my words. Um, And what we're going to do this morning is is as we go through this, um, we're going to try and look at five key ...kind of topics that come up in the midst of this. And you'll notice there's a a sequence that they appear. And just just to try to make things clearer, that's how we're going to address today. So Matthew uh, 24 from verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation... ...spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains... Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So as Richard mentioned, the disciples ask Jesus these three questions, and he takes time here to answer those questions. He answers the questions about what the signs will be that we will have at the end of the age and, and, and the signs of the return of, of Jesus, our King. So we're going to unpack each of... You'll see on the screen there's, there's five of these. We're going to take time to unpack each of those, but I'll just give a quick sort of like um, overview before we start. So the temple... Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, following his conversation with the Pharisees, as Richard said, makes a big statement that the temple will be destroyed and left desolate. The temple was hugely significant to the Jews. It was evidence of God's presence and evidence of his blessing. Now you would have heard in the reading uh, the words mentioning the, I'll read it here, the abomination of desolation. And Jesus is referring to language from Daniel's prophecy that many of us will be familiar of, uh, the language of the desecration of the temple. And we're going to look at why this is important as a sign of the end of the age and Jesus' return. Then we'll look at great distress, or as many of us will be probably more familiar with the term, great tribulation. Um, And he talks not just about the pain and the suffering of that time, but also the geographical place (coughs) that that will be centered and the distress and the response of those who are right there, but also its global impact, how it'll affect the entire world. The next one there is deception, and Jesus then warns about the many great deceivers that we will encounter and how we should respond to that. Then Jesus takes time to talk about his return with power, with glory, and as king. And then at the end of Jesus' prophecy here, we see that the angels will gather the elect from the four corners of of heaven and earth. Jesus is the great teacher. Um, We're not bad. No, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Richard's not bad. I'm still learning. Long shot. (laughs) I should just scrap all of that. Jesus is the great teacher. And he answers the disciples really clearly here. And... um, as Richard said, this is straightforward prophecy, but we know that this topic on the end times is, is difficult, and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of different thoughts about it. So I wonder, Richard, can you explain to us, why do we find this end time stuff so hard?
1: Okay. Well, just firstly, um, going back to Jesus, um, as Daryl spoke last week, we can be confident in the gospel message, you know, and the whole gospel, and uh, not a soft gospel, but the whole gospel as presented here in Jesus. And that's where our focus needs to be. And um, some of this is, is, is pointing to the, the future here. And so we all know it's hard to predict the future. Can you imagine people 100 years ago? They would be just baffled if they looked at what was going on in here, the technology in, in, that we're using here this morning. And um, back in the first century, it was challenging for them. They understood a Messiah figure was going to come as a king. They could see a Messiah figure who was a suffering servant. None of them expected one person to come twice. They expected two Messiahs. And it's only in the light of Jesus' first coming that that kind of makes sense. And some some of these prophecies will only make sense as they're happening should we live to see them. And so it it is hard. Um, But Jesus here was giving an important prophecy here. He takes time to give his most detailed answer here of the second coming. And so we need to take heed of his words. So we're just going to go through, just to help us um, get some handles on this, which I hope will be helpful to all. Under the orthodox or mainstream Uh, view of, of churches and denominations around the world is that we believe that there is going to be a church age we're in the church age since jesus's first coming typically everyone believes there is a temple destruction or that there will be in the future that jesus is going to come back and that there will be a golden age a garden of eden type state in the future and so there are four kind of mainstream views around that and so we're just going to touch on those and so if this, we have scholars all supporting these four kind of views. And if they find it hard, how much harder is it going to be for us as individuals to try and figure out where do we sit on, on those things? So we do need to be studying, and we do need to be seeking God on that. Just a few of the terms. I said, Hope these are just going to be the difficult terms that we're going to use right now, and then we'll, we'll be over. But it is, a, it is a term used in the Bible, the millennium. It just really means a long period, 1,000 years if you want to be specific. like a, a, a golden age is one way to think of it. Everyone's heard of the term atheist. Well, it comes from the term theist. Theist is someone who believes in God. Atheist, the A, just means non. Non-theist or atheist as we call it. Pre means before, post means after. So whether Jesus comes pre or post or after, Tribulation um, is, is the kind of thing uh, that we're, we're talking about here. So, so simple. Great tribulation just means trouble, big trouble um, for the great tribulation. The rapture means being caught up, snatched up in the air. Um, and the second coming is the return of Jesus to the earth. And so to try and help us figure out some of these, um, I just want to put the, these views up on here just to give a bit of clarity Hope you can see all of these up here. So this view has been around since about the 3rd, 4th century. It's called amillennialism. It means non-millennial. Don't think there's going to be a golden age here on earth. That's all it means. There's going to be no great tribulation. We're going to face troubles as we do right now, right through until Jesus returns. Uh, In the midst, Christ will reign in our hearts and he will reign with the saints in heaven too. Quite straightforward. If we go to the next one, Hey, it's called post-millennial, and again, this is around about the 4th fourth, fourth century. just means Jesus coming after the Golden Age. And so again, like the previous one, the Church Age, but here is a difference that the Church will be really fruitful in taking the Gospel around the world, and that will Christianize a m- the majority of the nations, and then have a Golden Age and welcome Jesus back. And then again, there's a new heaven and earth. Historic pre- pre-millennial view... Again, okay, we'll be through the, these difficult words in a moment, is, is probably the, the view that was there right from the early church. Um, again, the church age, but at some point what Jesus was talking here about, a great trouble will happen, and it will last a restricted period. And after that, we'll get the return of Jesus, and the saints will be caught up with him at that time in the rapture, and then there'll be a golden period, and then a heaven and earth, a golden age, permanently. Uh, the modern premillennial, very similar to the previous one, but in the middle there's a detail there is that um, people who hold to this view will believe that there is a secret coming of Jesus as well. And so that detail there in the middle, he'll come here for the church and then he'll return with his church after seven years in the golden age and then new heavens and earth. And so what you can get from these uh, four different views, some things are the same, aren't they? Church age... Return of Jesus, new heavens and new earth. And so we can be really confident on those details. And that's the the reason all the scholars agree with these things, is because they can find them in the scripture easily. Just like David, it says David came from Bethlehem, or Jesus came from Bethlehem, crystal clear. The details there in the middle are where things that we're not quite so confident, and hence you get different views on what that looks like. And, and, and so that's okay to wrestle with those things, but we've got to keep those handles on either side. So like uh, the bread is solid, the fillings inside may be slightly different from different people's perspectives. But we don't want to lose sight of those key things. And so we'll be breaking, going through these a bit more, but if you can understand that there are four key views and all the trouble comes there right in the middle but we've got a lot to look forward to jesus is coming back no one disagrees with that and that our time here may be short but there is going to be a beautiful period into eternity and that should be where our focus is tom cool. thanks richard so keeping
0: that in mind what we what we're looking at is matthew 24 and as we go through as i mentioned earlier there's there's five sort of key topics we want to look at And uh, and so now we're going to take a bit more time to to look at these uh, a bit deeper, a bit closer. So the first one there is is the temple. And the first sign here relates to the destruction and the desolation of the temple. So it's probably important for us to understand what the temple is or what what we're referring to here. Uh, And as I mentioned earlier, the temple uh, was hugely significant to the Jews. Remember, it's the evidence of God's presence and his blessing. And what we'll see here push the button there we go this this is a uh, this picture gives an indication of what the temple would have looked like in the time of Jesus it was huge absolutely huge complex it covered uh, um, about 36 acres of land and it took over 18,000 men over 80 years to build this and and in the time of Jesus it was still being built Um, some things that you may want to consider some of the foundation stones weighed up to 500 tons. That causes desolation, spoken of the prophet Daniel. And his audience, Jesus' audience, would have understood exactly what he was, what he was saying. So over 500 years before Jesus was born... Daniel had prophesied about an event, the abomination of desolation is what we're talking about. He prophesied where a man would set himself up on the temple in Jerusalem and declare himself God and there desecrate the temple. And this this prophecy was fulfilled in part in in 167 BC where the king of Syria, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, so he self-proclaimed as God manifest on earth, (laughs) He takes the temple, and then he sacrifices a pig in the holy place. He then calls for all the Bibles to be bought, brought to him and burnt, and then he sets the temple up as a brothel. Absolutely, uh, yeah, devastating for the Jews. And Jesus uses this example to show that this will be a sign of the end of the age, and in his, re- in his return, there will be a repeat of these things. This next photo is... Um, well, it's not a photo, sorry. I don't think anyone was there in 70 AD with a camera. <laughs> if they were, their technology was phenomenal. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a depiction of uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and, and obviously a fire uh, in, that, in the midst of that. And many Christians assume that this destruction in 70 AD was evidence of Jesus' prophecy here in Matthew 24. And uh, some of you may be familiar with Tom Wright. He's a famous author who says that Jesus destroyed the temple in 70 AD and then after miraculously appearing in the clouds, ascends back up to heaven, ending the Jewish era only. And, uh, and that this sign of the destruction of the temple is not relevant now as uh, we're already in, in that church age. Now, um, there, are, there are some really key problems with this view um, As some of us will be aware, there is a lot of prophecy about this, and many of the Old Testament prophets link the return of Jesus with both judgment and restoration of the Jewish people at the same time. And in Matthew 24, as we look at it, we see that Jesus speaks of a new temple, he speaks of great trouble, and his return, there's a sequence, but there's also a level of immediacy about it in terms of the time that it all happens. So in seventy AD, other than the fact that there would have been some great suffering for those who were there, and, and obviously the destruction of the temple, there's still many of these things that are prophesied that don't happen. Um, and we can we can agree that the temple is desolate but it hasn't been defiled or desecrated at this time. So the biblical facts lead us to expect that this has yet to happen and that the temple will in fact be rebuilt. And just to, um, just out of interest, what you'll see here, this, this is, these are some photos, these are photos, this is recent, of uh, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, and uh, this is a group who have prepared for the rebuilding of the temple, and they've actually recreated a lot of things. They have things like the Ark of the Covenant, they've even established a modern-day Sanhedrin. Um, so a new temple could be built and consecrated very quickly. And uh, should there be a peace treaty in the Middle East, we could expect this to happen, yeah, within our lifetime, very, very simply. So um, I just think that's really, really interesting that, you know, we talk about the possibility of a temple being rebuilt, and there are people who are planning and funding this to happen as as we speak. So following this sign, Richard, um, we we start looking at, at the Great Tribulation. Can you speak to us about that one?
1: Just trying to think what that might have meant for them in in the first century here again there's a word um, in latin it's tribulum it also means threshing sled it's philipsis in greek we find it in the bible and, and so the, this picture here you see on the right hand slide is a, is a heavy board and in that board has been hammered in sharp stones and so then you would use this in the harvesting, and you'll see on the left-hand photo, the man there with oxen standing on that board and those stones ripping into the, 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 the shells or the kernels and opening them up. And that's the kind of, 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 of picture Jesus is giving, a, a period of immense pressure, and there'll be some tearing and breaking up of things. And so that would have been the picture that they would have been familiar with. And as as Tom has said, that uh, Jesus says that there's going to be a time of great distress, unequalled from the beginning of the world till now, and not to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, no one. But for the sake of the elect, these days will be shortened. So I guess when we think about, um, you know, we can be quite fearful about the, the thought of this great, great tribulation. But what's the worst thing that could happen to someone? Death, that's right. And so Jesus talks about tribulation happening uh, through our lifetimes. And so if it doesn't matter if we're in tribulation or the great tribulation, the same thing applies. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we die. But that's not the end. And so when you go from Revelation 16, which is talking about the judgments, up until the return of the white rider, and the white rider is Jesus you will see on here. He's coming with the wrath of God, and that's kind of scary for us, and there's two words used there for wrath, combined together in those two chapters. And Jesus has already said back in chapter 10 to his disciples when he's sending them out, do not be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so, ultimately, the wrath of God is his great white throne judgment, the second death. And that's what this builds up to in, in Revelation. And so, uh, that's some, some challenging words there. But trying to bring that into perspective, the worst thing that can happen to us is not physical death here. judgment by God because there was a king returning the elect means God's chosen people I guess one of the the conversations here often had is the location of the elect at this time and those details are disputed between those four views but we need to emphasize that God has great power to protect his people wherever they are located for those who are surrendering their lives and we're going to pick this up again shortly so these are kind of troubling passages, aren't they? We feel uncomfortable. But Jesus here is preparing us for the times to come, that we should we see them. And so, putting that in perspective, there is something worse than the end of this life. Where are you going to end up? And we'll pick that up again in a moment. Tom, because in the midst of this, there will be a lot of talk, Jesus says, about deception in this period.
0: My slides have disappeared again, Richard. That's all right.
1: <clears throat> That's so weird It is weird, it's
0: okay Maybe they're not meant to be A sign of uh, the end of the message <laughs> 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 uh, No, I'm afraid it's not um, the, the next sign there is, is about deception And um, Daryl spoke last week about there being false messiahs in and, and, and the world and, and false prophets, teachers in the church And what Jesus talks about is a coming together of these And them being false in both and every, everywhere, and looking to deceive the church as much as the world. And uh, one of the things there is that the word Messiah means anointed. And uh, these, what we're told in scripture is that these false prophets are self anointed, meaning that they're self proclaimed in, in their ability. And um, I think it's also important for us to recognize that not all supernatural events are from God. As Satan loves to mimic what's what's going on in, in terms of God's power. And we see that throughout the Bible in, in many places. So this there's a time of, of great deception coming where, where we need to know our word. We need to know the Bible and we need to know what it says about these times so that we can be prepared. And uh, I guess the difficult thing is how, how do we know the difference between a false Messiah and the true Messiah? And fortunately, as we've said, Jesus is a great teacher and he tells us. He tells us what the sign of his coming Will look like and so richard i wonder if, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about that
1: mm. i guess it, it, it pains me when um i see people have predicted the return of jesus and they're claiming to be false messiahs and christians have been um caught up in that swept up in there because if we read matthew 24 it would be crystal clear when jesus is coming back because he says, uh, immediately after those days of distress of the tribulation, there's going to be some cosmic disturbances in the sky. Sun, moon, The heavenly bodies are shaken. Do you think, we, do you think that's an everyday event? We might notice if that's going on. And so, just as sometimes you've been to an old-fashioned theatre, and just before the, the play comes on, uh, the curtains are at the back. Everything goes dark, and then the spotlight comes on. And all you can see is the figure in the middle of the stage. That's the picture Jesus is presenting. In the sky, center stage. Absolutely no doubt who he is. Crystal clear. And so we need to understand that. A very public return, unlike his first coming, quietly, quietly. Encountering shepherds this time round, everyone is going to know when Jesus returns, and so um, we should not be deceived because He's coming in great power and glory. And so Jesus allows no room for deception here if you read His word. So I encourage you to do that. But Jesus isn't coming back as Savior as He came 2,000 years ago, but as Judge and King. You think of the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every day. Your kingdom come. first petition we make is for his kingdom to come. And so Jesus is coming back as a king figure. And so we need to have that whole picture of the gospel, the whole picture of Jesus, because what does Jesus say in the midst of all this? What's the reaction of the people going to be, non-Christians and the Jews who have rejected Jesus? Jesus says there's going to be mourning when people realize what they've missed, there'll be great mourning. And just as in the days of Noah, when people were swept away, they may have laughed at Noah when he was building the ark, but when things were being swept away, there was no time to be prepared. And so Jesus talks about mourning at this time because he is coming as king for his world. And that's, that's sobering thought, isn't it? You think, how many people you care of will face a day where there is mourning? And that's part of the challenge to stir us up in thinking of the gospel. Because there will be family and friends who may face a day of mourning and wish they had listened, wish they had surrendered, wish that they had accepted the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. You think of a family or friend you do not know, They'll face a day of mourning. In the midst of all of this, there's a loud trumpet call that reminds of the scene at Mount Sinai where God comes to visit, uh, visit um, Moses. It's called the last trumpet, and there the, the believers will be resurrected of a new body. And so part of that detail, some people will think there are two last trumpets, and there, there, are, there are arguments in that. Personally, I think last trumpet means last trumpet in how we work that through. But that's some of the questions that Christians debate on. But just a really sobering passage here. That's why. This is the bad news. Why do you think the gospel is called good news? There has to be some bad news. And Jesus paid the price to give us that good news. Tom, just talk a bit more about the gathering of the elect. <coughs> the, uh, the fifth sign here is, is the
0: gathering of the elect. Um, by the angels, and we read, um, actually, I've written here Mark's account, we're told that he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, and Mark adds um, to Matthew, he says, to the ends of the heavens, and very simply, this means that God's people will be gathered from the four corners of the heavens and, and the earth, every, everywhere. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I'm pretty excited about that, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's, yeah. Wonder where I'll be? Um, yeah, yeah, I'll go there. <clears throat> we we have a lot of information in the Bible about the end times. Yeah, there's a lot of prophecy. There's a lot that's spoken, but in my mind, what I, I believe that this is in Matthew 24, the most direct teaching we have about the end times. So it's certainly about the signs of 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 the end and the signs of Jesus' return, and. Uh, Remember, the disciples have, have asked Jesus these these quite difficult questions. Um, I wouldn't have been able to answer them. <laughs> but Jesus answers them really clearly. And, um, and what I find interesting is that as we go through it, there's nowhere in here that he clearly talks. He doesn't use the word rapture, which is a topic that we seem to, seem to talk about in, a lot. And I, I want to be careful here because I, I recognize this may generate some controversy. Um, but that may also cause us to do a bit more study, which is good. (laughs) My students loved it when I told them that. As as Richard mentioned earlier, there are those four predominant views. Is that the one? That's the one. And we have godly men and women uh, throughout time in this building, in our lives, who stand in different places. I think what's really important is that we remember those things that we have in common in these views. Let's call them the big rocks of this discussion. And what I've felt really challenged on while reading and studying through here is for myself um, where I should put my focus or where I should, I guess where my feet should land are on the things where the Bible places weight. And uh, what I mean by this is, yeah, there are over three hundred times in the Bible where it talks about the second coming of Jesus. So clearly, that's really important, right? There's only one really clear place in the Scripture that talks about rapture. There are there are certainly others that are inferred in relation to the church. In to the church. Thanks, Richard. And that's not to deny the rapture. I I believe that there will be a rapture. I'm pretty pumped about it. To be fair. Um, but I, I feel really challenged about the amount of weight that I put on rapture when when scripture puts so much more weight on the second coming. And that's not to deny I'm not, not trying to say that at all. You know, the return of Jesus, the the display that we will see across across the heavens. Um you know, the fact that we will be ushered into a time of eternity with him, like, isn't that got to be the most significant thing? And all of time. Yeah. We, we're going to talk about this a little bit more shortly. Um, I just thought I'd scratch the surface on that. But I want to just take a moment here just to recap a little bit. What we've got here is we've got five signs that will help the church to recognize the end of this age and this triumphant return of Jesus, the one true king. And so we've, we've got the destruction of the temple, The destruction and the desolation of the temple, which will follow with a time of great distress like this world has never seen before. The world and the church will face many who will look to deceive us through falsely claiming to be anointed. But we will recognize the true Messiah when the tribulation climaxes with a global cosmic disturbance in the sky as Jesus comes. And then the angels... Send, will be sent out with a loud trumpet call to gather the elect from everywhere. <laughs> so obviously, the fulfilment of this is yet to come. So, um, so I wonder, Richard, like, we talk about all this, but what can we learn that is relevant to us? So obviously, there's lots that's relevant, but what can we apply like today?
1: Okay, thanks, Tom. Just to quickly go back uh, to the, this this chart here. Just so you know, in church history, if you have a, a background uh, of some of the traditional main, mainstream churches, you'll probably you'll have learnt in your, your younger days or your formative days there one of the first two views. And that's what you would have grown up with. Now, if, if, if you believed in the pre, pre-tribulation rapture, and you grew up with that, then you will be there very strongly with, with number four. So often our church denominations, background, and the teaching that we had in, 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 in those times influenced where we would be on that chart. And Sometimes we don't realize because we just grow up with that. And, and so that has a bearing on where we come from. But this is an issue. We want to be, feel free to be able to talk about and not... Uh, said, so if we hold on to those big anchors, it's okay to talk about these things, not to get obsessed with them, but to bring, build our confidence that God is in control of all these things. And so where do we get up to? Oh, sorry, Tom. Yeah, do that. I guess the, um, in thinking about this, we had a bit of pressure in the last couple of years with the likes of um, COVID happening. And uh, the challenge for here with people taking different views on COVID is how do we maintain our love for one another in that? A bit of a challenge at times, was not it? Maintain a love for one another, and if Jesus is talking about more stressful times to go to to come, we should learn from that experience in the last couple of years. When we talk about these the, the, this issue of end times, this is not a salvation issue. You're not going to be saved by taking one of those views and being sincerely doing that and being wrong. There can only be one of those who are right, or they could all be wrong, but I think one of them has to, has to be right. But that's not going to save us. Our, 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 our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And that is a great gift. So don't let us separate on these issues. Maintain our love. Because Jesus has called us to walk in love and truth together. And, uh, and if we stop fellowship, we're actually breaking a bigger command than we we're trying to figure out where we sit on this. To love one another. How easy it is for Christians to be deceived and break fellowship. And break that bigger command. Let's not fall into that trap. Really important. Just within in these, these groups, the first two of those groups... Um, as Tom had alluded to, believes that the temple destruction is all history. We don't really need to worry about it anymore. That, that well, The tribulation kind of happened at that period, so when you're reading Revelation, you're just reading history. And um, I say be open to being wrong on that. As I read through Matthew 24, I don't get that picture. I could be wrong. But be prepared if these events are future, that you're not asleep, because Jesus says be awake to things that you, you have. And again, with the um, issue there with the, the modern pre-millennial, premillennial view, rapture sounds like an exciting thing. It's only mentioned once. The return of Jesus, 300 times. If that biblical weight is on the second coming and the kingdom of God, then that's where our focus should be. Because there is a kingdom coming, it's in the Lord's Prayer. And that's, our, our, that's kind of our challenge is to be prepared for that, the return of Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? That's the big deal. He's coming back. Not our location for seven years during this period. Whether it's on earth or in, in heaven, heaven. And I guess for, for the middle view, I mean that's the most prepared view, but we've got to be humble that we could be wrong. But we can be wrong. But I would rather be wrong and prepared than right and be unprepared. Because the whole message of Jesus is to be prepared for whatever situation comes. And we might not know, if we live to see such days, we might not know what to expect. Just as the disciples were, uh, were, um, didn't understand fully Jesus' prophecies and the prophecies of him coming twice. We need to be prepared on that. So keep our hearts soft. That's a mark of Christians. We've also got to um, ensure that we overcome the faith test. Daryl shared on that last week. Don't be afraid, don't be deceived, but don't ignore. The real test of faith will be emphasised when we get to the parables. We need to endure. The real test of faith is endurance. To prove it's genuine, are we willing to do that? We spoke of Roland's funeral. He was a man who endured through tribulation too. Paul says in Romans 5, our sufferings build perseverance or patient endurance. That's the message here of Matthew 24. If you go to the book of Revelation, one of the key, key messages is in chapter 1, chapter 13, chapter 14. What does it say? Jesus calls for the patient endurance of the saints. That's the heart cry of revelation. Endure. It's here in Matthew 24. And even if we get some things wrong in the midst of this, don't lose sight of the real message. A kingdom has come and we've got to endure for it. And this is part of strengthening our faith. Just remember there's a gospel of a king. And uh, again, just talking about forgiveness of sins, part of the gospel. Talking about God's love as part of the gospel. But we need to talk about the King returning, as in the Lord's Prayer. king is coming. Just,
0: just, talking. Sorry. <laughs> interrupt. Just, just talking about how we can apply these. Um, yeah, in regards to that kingdom you talk about, we, we know... <laughs> We we have the gospel. We know the truth. We carry this with us, and I just encourage you to to share that. You know, mm. we, that's what we should be doing. Um, but at the same time, we we need to be prepared ourselves, which means we need to understand these things. And so, just I guess we've already talked about it, but yeah. the uh, the need to be reading our Bible and, and seeking to deepen our relationship with, with with God, so that we are prepared and we we understand all about this. Sorry.
1: No thanks, Tom. Yeah, so the heart of this is we're called to obey Jesus, his commands. Stand firm. There are people in this church who have stood firm through tribulation. Be inspired by them. Listen to them. And don't be afraid of the gospel. Don't be afraid or embarrassed. Someone might reject me. If they rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago, despite all his miracles, do you think they might not reject us too? But that's not our role. Our role is to bear witness it's up to people how they respond. But we don't want to see people mourning, do we? So proclaim the true gospel of the kingdom. That was Jesus' words, the gospel of the kingdom. And just finally, we're called to be a people of hope. Do we look like a people of hope? Hope so. That's what we're called to be. Jesus has shared us the future with us. And the hope of eternity with him should bring should bring profound joy that the suffering in the world is temporary that god has a plan people need to hear that because without hope our faith will shrink and our love will grow cold that was the message of jesus in the first part of matthew 24 guard against love growing cold your faith shrinking because of trouble we've talked about dr Frankel, or victor Frankel famous neurologist, psychologist, philosopher who survived a Nazi death camp in World War II. And he observed that those who survived the camp, the one common characteristic is that they all had hope. Not necessarily in Jesus in his return, but they ho- had hope. Something would get them through and that something would be better after that. And so how healthy is your hope? Do people see it when they look at you? is a person of hope for the future. And I love the picture, who is, we're going to finish here, that Jesus gave. He talks about birth pains. Well, if Jesus can talk about birth pains, I don't, you know, as a guy, I don't feel so bad about talking about it. But we know for our ladies in here, when you get pregnant, your focus isn't on the labor, is it? I hope. But you're going to experience morning sickness at times. Some of you will be severe. And you'll carry on. The baby will get bigger. You'll feel sort of a few little tremors and things. And then as you get closer to, to, to birth, you're going to get greater contractions. I hope this isn't from experience. Mm. From my wife. experience. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you may get Braxton Hicks. Julie had Braxton Hicks, you know, a few days before William was born. Thought it was all about to happen, and it didn't. There was a delay. But what came when the baby was born. Joy. And so the message here Jesus gives is don't focus on the labor pains, focus on the baby, the kingdom to come. That's the new creation. And so it's very easy for us to focus on the wrong thing. How do we avoid the pain? Women don't do that because they know they've got the vision of the baby. And we need to recapture that vision of the king and his kingdom coming. And so you prepared for that joy. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So get our eyes fixed on that, not the pains. Endure them. And I know all of our wives have to endure it. It's not nice, but it's temporary. So next time we're going to pick up on the parables and they will illuminate some of these stories that Jesus just tells them in a different way. But uh, thank you for being patient with us this morning. I've enjoyed being able to just talk about these things in a, in a good environment.
0: Yeah, thanks, Richard. Uh, just, um, just on that, you know, to be people of, of love, faith, and hope, um, you know, it's easy, I guess, to say it, another thing to do it, isn't it? And I just want to, I guess, as an encouragement, you know, we, we're not alone. And God is not a distant God; He is near to us, and uh, we have this beautiful gift of prayer, this ability to talk with God, and and the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, just encourage you you know, if any of these areas that you you really struggle in or, or you're concerned about, uh, reach out to our Heavenly Father. And um yeah, and also I just wanted to say, you know, often. Or maybe this is just me, but you come to passages like this in the Bible, and sometimes we have a tendency of just kind of skipping them because it's a bit hard basket and leave it to the to the smart people. but the Bible is is for all of us to read and we have an amazing gift, as I said in the Holy Spirit who will help us to understand it and uh, and I think often we, we we look to other people for interpretation and commentary which which is okay, but how often do we ask for that conviction from the from the Holy Spirit? And uh, on these difficult parts in here that aren't so clear, that would be my encouragement, is that for each of us, that we seek that conviction from the Holy Spirit and we stand upon that, as long as it's not contrary to the Bible, of course. Um, Yeah, how exciting is it that we have a king returning who... um, yeah, and, and in all of this, there's just so much stuff to look forward to. Uh, a lot of stuff to be wary of, of course, but the end of that is, is absolutely an incredible promise and a hope to hold on to. So, yeah, thank, thank you, Richard. Um, I I'd certainly feel like the student in most of our conversations, but um, it's been an absolute joy yeah. to, to learn and go through this together.